Welcome back, everybody. This is Encounter with God here on Faith FM. You're with Lyle and Mon. This is The Breakfast Show, positively different radio in the morning. And tomorrow morning, Mon, we're going to be doing Encounter with God, and you are not going to be here. I'm going to be midair. You will be midair. Yeah. Let me see. Lying through the air. I, f- I leave at 4.30 this you will afternoon. Be yeah. You will be midair. And I'm going to be in transit for 30 hours and five minutes. So... <laughs> You'll be midair somewhere, probably sound asleep. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully sound asleep. Well, hopefully. Have you ever slept on a plane? I I can sort of sleep, but not well. Like, you're not well rested, and you sort of always sort of background awake kind of a thing. I don't know how you explain You all know what I mean. That sort of weird sleep you have on a plane where you're not really asleep. Yeah. Yep. Although, like, we have all experienced that sleep. Someone's recommended to me, and, and I have tried this before, um, and, it, and I did find it worked um, Montmorency Cherry. Oh really? So it's a it's a uh, it's a species of cherry, and it's a natural um, sedative. So it, like puts you to sleep. And in fact, the guy who told me about it, <laughs> he was quite cocky, and he heard that it could put you to sleep, and he was like, "Oh, whatever." And so he drank a glass of this Montmorency cherry juice because you can drink it as a juice, and then went to class to uni, and he said he had to go home in the middle of the <laughs> class because he couldn't keep his eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> so of course I uh, I found I got my hands on some of it because I was in America when I heard about it and I purchased some in the states and I used it on the flight back and it was much more relaxing. The only problem is extremely difficult to find Montmorency cherry juice in Australia. You can find all kinds of cherry juice like sour cherry and tart cherry and all kinds of cherry juice, but Montmorency cherry juice very hard to find. I did find one little sort of um, a supplier where you can buy it in. Uh, little sachets, almost like a shot, and they use it for sports performance recovery because apparently it's really good for that as well, like muscle relaxing and, and it helps you recover from sport injuries. Mm. And um, But I, I just can't find where the supplier sells their stock. I don't know if they're legit or anything. So, yeah, if anyone has any Montmorency cherry juice, please hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Meet me at the Newcastle Airport tonight, 4.30. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so let's get into our uh, but Bible study. before we do that, yeah. Lyle... Mm-hmm. Jumping ahead. And by the way, Lyle has figured out the answer to the quiz. There is still a prize going for this, though. It's a Who Am I quiz. Pretty difficult one this morning, as it turns out. Lyle was just ripping his hair out about it. This is clue number three. I was covered with leprosy because the Lord was angry with me. I was covered with leprosy. Yeah, well. Because the Lord was angry with me. I know exactly who this is. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because once you give the parents away, then that narrows it down to a limited number of offspring. I won't give the number away right now. Lyle. And only one of those offspring got leprosy. That's true. No, two wait, of them wait, did. Yeah, that's right. Two of you them did. Take it back. Yes, two of them did. Ooh, but speaking go. of uh, angering the Lord and getting leprosy, should we be scared that the Lord's going to send leprosy upon us if he's angry with us? He's going to smite you? Yeah, he's going to smite us. Is that something that happens on a regular basis? No, there are very few occasions of that in the Bible. And if you look at the record of what actually took place here, this person received leprosy. Both this person and their sibling both received leprosy, but on different occasions from God. And God also took it away. Ah, there you go. Yeah. And so it was one of those things that uh, for this particular individual, it was a, a bit of a wake-up call where they were, um, you know, way out of line mm-hmm. and getting way too big for their shoes. Mm-hmm. And God was like, okay, calm down a bit, you know. Ultimately, I'm the one in control here. So I you guess know, in a way, the one that's in control. He actually saved their life because. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a little like bit like you know, with uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. 
what? Paul's thorn in the flesh. Is it the one he prayed about having removed it? And never- three times and God said no. Okay. Yeah, so in this particular case, um, God said yes, which was nice. Um, but in that particular case of, of Paul's, it was God was like, no, you need this to keep you humble. And he's like, okay, that's good. So sometimes we need, we need a hard lesson to, to keep us on track. We certainly do. Because as a, any lesson that we get on earth is a short lesson compared to the eternity of heaven. Yes. So it's worth it, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to Revelation chapter 4. We're up to Revelation chapter 4, which is really, really awesome. We are starting the next prophecy of the book of Revelation, and I need you to read for me Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. Never would have guessed you'd say verse 1. Really? (laughs) There you go. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's think about this for a moment and uh, let's consider what it is that's taking place. Let's just work our way through the verse, shall we? So let's see what the Bible says. Okay. All right. What's the first thing that happens? Uh, someone's looking. All right. Uh, who is looking? I'm guessing John the Revelator. Yes, John is looking. He looks up into heaven. And he sees a door. And he sees a door. What's it's, significant about the door? It's open and it's in heaven. All right, so there's a door in heaven and the door is open. Uh, we want. We need to find out what is on the other side of this door, don't we? What room is he looking into? Yeah, we do need to find that out. Okay, so what room is he looking into? Uh, he looks up into heaven. There is a door. Um, then what happens? Uh, he hears a voice, and apparently it's the same one that spoke to him before, like a trumpet blast. Yes, and what does that voice say? Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. All right. So it's like so an invitation. It's like, an invitation. It gives come you, check this out. We've, we've got a time frame here as well, don't we? Yeah. What is the time frame? Well, it's, well, first of all, he says there's a voice from before, and then he says, the voice says, show you what must happen after this. Okay. So, so before and after are two timestamps. Yes. Okay, but the before relates to the voice, uh, and that relates to the previous prophecy. Correct, Amundo. Yes. Uh, The after this relates to the open door, doesn't it? Um, I suppose. When he looks into heaven, he sees a door that is open in heaven, um, and and, and the angel is going to show you, I'm going to show you what happens after this. In other words, after this door is opened in heaven. Okay, yep. That makes sense? Yep, gotcha. Good. So that's giving us a timestamp, which is very, very important. Now we need to find out what is on the inside of this door. Okay. Next two verses, please. And instantly I was... Sorry, hang on. Oh, there we go. And instantly I was in the spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Wow, that sounds really amazing. Yes, it does What's indeed. a car- carnelian? Like jasper is like, what color is jasper? Like blue? Green. Green. I wonder what color carnelian is. It's a green rainbow. I know that. Okay, yeah, because emerald is green, right? Yeah. Yes, it's a green rainbow. Have you ever seen a green rainbow? Uh, no. Are you talking about like an ombre kind of a thing, like a gradation? I have no idea. It's just a green rainbow. That's cool. It's very cool. Very it's like cool. how do you even make a green rainbow? Yeah, that's right. You know, if you get light to pass through water, how does that actually work? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Be that as it may, um, you've got a green rainbow here. and We need to work our way through here. Uh, verse 2, what does he see in verse 2? Uh, he sees a throne 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in heaven, mm-hmm. and there's someone sitting on it. Okay, so he yeah. looks through. The, he goes up into heaven. He looks through the door, and inside the door, he sees a throne. Correct. Okay. And who is it that is sitting on the throne? Uh, it is someone who is brilliant, like gemstones. Who do you think that might be? I'm saying it's God. Okay, that's yeah. exactly right. You, you, can, you don't have, really have any other choices here. This is God the Father. Okay, well. Because the voice that he hears is the same voice that he heard before. And if we go back to the voice that he heard before, um, in Revelation 1 and verse 12, he hears the voice and he says, I turned to see and the voice that spoke with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks, the Son of Man. Okay, yep. So So Jesus is speaking to him, saying, come up here, I will show you what will happen after this door is open in heaven. He goes up there, he looks through the door, he sees a throne set in place, he sees somebody sitting on the throne, and the description is the description of God. And God is surrounded by a green rainbow. So, it's so interesting. I'm trying to figure out... What is, okay, so what, is the, what does a rainbow symbolize in the Bible? In the Bible? Yes. Man, I don't know. Oh, no, I do know. Because uh, God gave Moses a rainbow as a prompt. Sorry, Noah. <laughs> I always get Moses and Noah mixed up. <laughs> yes, Two how many, it's, a, it's a good question to ask people sometimes. How many? How many uh, of each different kind of animal did Moses take on the ark? Yeah, trick question. And everybody goes, oh, two. No, no. <laughs> Moses didn't take any animals on the ark. He, he the built ark. an ark out of gold. <laughs> That's right. And it was a very small chest. <laughs> and you couldn't put any animals in that ark unless they were very. Oh, it's such a trickster. I would totally fall for that. Oh, it's every so much time. fun. You got to do it to. Uh, to your Bible study class or whatever you do in Africa sometime with okay, your, I will. I your will. African kids and get them all confused. <laughs> okay. Okay, so a rainbow, uh, God gave Noah and uh, his family a rainbow after the flood as a promise. Yes, absolutely. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So the rainbow is a symbol of a covenant-keeping God. Yeah, it's... Which is going to be important here because, you know, the rainbow is the rainbow of, of promise, you know, a covenant that God made with Noah that he would never flood the world again. So it's like a peace rainbow. Yeah. Yeah, rainbow of peace. Rainbow of peace. I like that. Mm-hmm. And so he gives him this rainbow as a symbol, that, yeah, I'm a covenant-keeping God. That covenant is going to become very important to this particular prophecy because this prophecy is all about a book. And the book is, the covenant is central to this book. And so we're going to learn more about that probably over the next couple of days as we work our way down through this particular uh, passage here. All right, what do we see next in verse 4? 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. This is a really, like, unbelievably dramatic scene. Okay, so what John is doing here is that he is building a word picture. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting word picture because it is a, um, a, a an abbreviated version of the one that Ezekiel builds. Okay. But of course, in Ezekiel's word picture, you don't have 24 elders. You've got everything else, but you don't have the 24 elders. But Ezekiel gives much, much more detail about everything else. You know, Ezekiel gives a whole chapter where John gives three verses. Uh-huh. Uh, we need to find out why these 24 elders are here, who are who they are, and why are they not in Ezekiel's vision of the throne room of God? Because both John and Ezekiel have a vision of the throne room of God. Mm-hmm. They both write about it, and they write about it in 
they do their best in human language. Correct. Yeah. But they're struggling. You can tell that they're really struggling um, to, to write down. But the, the 24 elders is fairly straightforward right here. Okay, so we need to find out about these 24 elders. What identifying characteristics do we have of the 24 elders? Uh, they're all clothed in white. Um, they all have gold crowns on their heads and they're all sitting on thrones that surround God or God's throne at least. Okay. So what does white clothing symbolize? A purity. Whose purity? God's purity. Yes. Jesus' purity. Yep. So they're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. What about the gold crowns? Um, when will you receive a gold crown and a white robe? When you get to heaven. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so if you go back to, let me see, Second Timothy. Second Timothy, let's just confirm this. Second Timothy. Yeah, 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 whatever. Just one last time, I had to get it in there. Second Timothy, last chapter. Um, that's Titus, chapter 4, and verse 7 and 8, please. 7 and 8 says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Okay. Notice here that he is to receive a crown of righteousness, a crown of victory. Okay, so this is what we know about the 24 elders so far. We know that they are wearing the righteousness of Christ and the crown of victory. That indicates that they have received these as gifts from Jesus Christ, right? Correct. Now, of course, if you have not lived in a sinful world, you don't need to receive the righteousness of Christ. Yeah, you have your own righteousness. That's right. Yeah. You don't need to receive a, receive a crown of victory because you have always been victorious. You don't need to be saved from anything either. You don't need to be saved from anything. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. Five, and let's find out what else the Bible has to say about the 24 elders. Revelation, let me just flick over here. Revelation chapter 5, their Bible continues to talk about them again as it goes through this chapter. And verse 8. 5 and verse 8 says, And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Okay, so what are they carrying? Gold bowls of incense. In other words, known as censers. And in those censers, the incense is symbolic of what? Prayer. Prayer, the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the righteous, the prayers of you and I. Is that where is that where like all these sort of uh, uh, Eastern religions get their whole fascination with incense sticks? Uh, no, not really. The um, there 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 is a link here, I think, with prayer, but mostly um, you know Western Christianity and Eastern Christianity borrowed the concept of using incense uh, from um, Eastern non-Christian okay. religions. Okay, okay, yeah, a, a long time ago. But, you know, incense is a part of the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's part of the sanctuary service. There's nothing wrong with incense. Mm-hmm. And if you like burning incense in your home, go for it. It's great. It makes your home smell nice. Well, that's debatable, but go on. But you don't like incense? <laughs> no, stuff stinks. Okay. I don't mind. I've just, I, I wouldn't burn it in my own home, but if I go into a home where they're burning, I'm like, yeah, that's great. I like uh, essential oils. The, the, the significant thing here is that this is symbolic of intercession. Oh, okay. This is a priestly scene that we are looking at within the sanctuary. 
So the throne of God is within the sanctuary. If you go back to chapter 4 and verse 6, would you like to read that one for us, please? 4 verse 6 says... 4 verse 5, sorry. 4 4 verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. Okay, so we've talked about the seven spirits of God before and the seven branch candlestick and how the seven branch candlestick in the... Sanctuary was a symbol of the Holy Spirit and the seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. You've got one candlestick, seven different aspects. We, we talked about this in Revelation chapter 1. This is sanctuary terminology. This is a sanctuary scene that we are looking at. And you have how many elders here? 24. How many, how many priests served in the temple at any given time? Oh, was it 24? It was 24. Wow. It was actually 25 because you had 24 priests and one high priest. Now, the high priest served there all the time. The 24 elders would serve, or so the, the 24 priests would serve there for two weeks of the year. And they'd be on a rotating shift so that everybody would get their turn and they would have a course. They were called courses. And so you can read about John the Baptist's father and you can read about the course that he belonged to. And when his course gets to have their two week uh, stint at serving in the sanctuary, then it would be, you know, Zechariah, um, John the Baptist's father, and another 23, which would make 24 priests who would serve in the sanctuary. Because obviously, you know, all the sons of Aaron, there's way, way too many of them by the time you come to Jesus for them all to serve in the sanctuary at any given time. So in courses of 24 each. This is very interesting because like, I've heard people say that the 24 elders are representatives of other worlds and other races um, in the same way that uh, like how they had 24 elders um, priests in the, in the, in the sanctuary, um, like two from each tribe, 12 tribes. And so therefore representing each sort of, you know, kind of a thing, even though they were actual Levites, weren't they? Yes, they were Levites and not just Levites, but descendants of Aaron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. It is very interesting, and particularly when you look at the contrast between Ezekiel and John. And in Ezekiel's um, Ezekiel's description, you find that there are no 24 elders. And we're going to look at why. Mm. Because if they were representatives from other planets, they would have been there back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. There's no reason why they wouldn't have been there. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But they are absent. Let's now read verse 9 and find out. Does the Bible say they are representatives from other worlds or other planets? Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. Do we keep reading? Mm. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say... You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Was that chapter 5 and verse 9? No, it was chapter 4. I was going to say, I was waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. Okay, verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Okay, notice it says they. That's the 24 elders, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Mm, Let me read it from my translation. For you were slain and have redeemed us. Have redeemed us. Did you catch that, Mon? Mm -hmm. These people are redeemed. That's why they're wearing white robes and crowns of victory the righteousness of Christ. They are redeemed people, and if they are redeemed people, then they have come from From this earth. earth. Yeah. So how do you get 24 elders, 24 people in heaven way back at this particular time period in history? 
because what we've got, to, what we're going to look at when we come back from this song break is when this prophecy actually begins. When does it start? And as we uh, look at the starting date, we're going to find that this is going to take us all the way back to AD 31. How do you get a bunch of people in heaven in AD 31? Right now we have Andrew Peterson with his He Worthy.
Welcome back, guys. You're listening to Andrew Peterson with Is He Worthy here on Faith FM. You got another clue for our quiz there, Mon? No one has snapped it up yet? Yes, indeed. I have another clue. Who am I? This one's proving to be quite hard, which, you know, good way to go out uh, for me personally <laughs> before I head off to Africa, leave you all confused. So this is our, let me see, one, two, three, fourth clue for this quiz, and it is such... I am one of the three people the Lord said he sent to lead Israel out of Egypt. One of the three people the Lord said he sent to lead Israel out of Egypt. Who might that be? One of three. Two of them got leprosy. Two of them got leprosy, including this one. Both were healed. Mm-hmm. Miraculously. Mm-hmm. All had the same parents. All had the same parents. One of them related to the discussion that we were having in our last segment of Encounter with God. Yeah. Okay, let's let's solve these 24 elders, shall we? Yes, indeed. Okay, so we've got 24 um, wearing priestly robes in a priestly setting, in a sanctuary setting, carrying senses. The Bible says they are redeemed from the earth. Um, so we know that they've come from this earth. And uh, they are in the throne room of God, and they are there in AD 31. So let's establish this date here, AD 31, just for a moment. Okay, there's a number of ways that we can establish the date. The first way we establish the date is by using the principle of repeat and enlarge. So to illustrate the principle of repeat and enlarge, the easiest way to look at it is in the prophecy of Daniel. In Daniel, you start off with a prophecy of four metals, followed by a prophecy of four beasts, then one of those beasts disappears, and then you have a third prophecy of three beasts, followed by a a fourth prophecy, um, once again, of three world empires. So your metals, your beasts, and your empires all symbolize world empires. And so all the four prophecies of the book of Daniel are repeating the same thing, but giving more detail. Okay. Revelation is exactly the same. We find that the prophecy of the seven churches is followed by the prophecy of the seven seals. This is the prophecy of the seven seals. It's the introduction. Uh, Followed by the prophecy of the seven trumpets. They're all covering the same period of history. They're giving you more detail because they're looking at that same period of history from different perspectives, different angles. And so we get, you know, those extra insights. The next thing that we need to consider is that the sanctuary terminology that is being used in this particular prophecy relates to the holy place of the sanctuary. Therefore, we know the judgment has not begun. Therefore, we know this is not an end time origin or beginning of this prophecy. It is holy place, not most holy place. The throne here is very, very clearly depicted as being in the holy place and not in the most holy place. Okay. Yeah? Got it. The next thing that we're going to notice is when you go to Revelation chapter 5, in the first couple of verses of Revelation chapter 5, you have the Father sitting on the throne. The Son then arrives. And we're going to look at that over in in more detail. When does the Son arrive? And he arrives as the Lamb that was slain. When did Jesus arrive in the throne room of God as the Lamb that was slain? That was AD 31 when he ascended into heaven after he died. We following so far? Yes. So we now have our time frame, our date. And so we know that these 24 elders are in heaven. And they are in heaven during the, uh, in, in AD 31 at the time that Jesus turns up there. How did they get there? How do you have these people, these human beings in heaven at this particular time period? The Bible is crystal clear. 
And I mean abundantly crystal clear. The Bible says that you know the dead sleep in the graves until Jesus returns. We could look at verse after verse after verse after verse after verse after verse on that. The Bible speaks about the resurrection. You can't have a resurrection. A resurrection makes no sense if you're already alive. You know, the whole concept of the immortality of the soul cancels out the resurrection. The resurrection cancels out the immortality of the soul. These are two concepts that are mutually exclusive from each other because they make no sense if you have them together. Right. So are these 24 elders just symbolic and not actually real then? They are actually real. So, so how does it work there? The dead know nothing. They are actually real. Mm-hmm. It's the Bible lying to us, Lyle. The dead no, know nothing, but Bible here we have is, some I'm resurrected show you people. Something that, I'm going to show you something that a lot of people would never even think about. This is a most interesting passage of the Bible, and you find it in Matthew chapter 27. And this will also explain to you why it is that they are not seen in Ezekiel's vision of the throne room. Okay, Matthew chapter 27 is where we're going to go to, and I want you to start reading in verse 50 and stop when you have ended verse 52. 50 to 52, I'll bet you do it. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. Wow. Oh, my. Okay, so when Jesus dies, what happens? There's a resurrection. There's a resurrection that takes place. Now, here's what's most interesting. You've got all of these people that are resurrected at this particular time and um, they come back to life. Mm -hmm. You would imagine that they would go on to live very productive lives as missionaries for Jesus, you know, going around and telling the story of Jesus. These are righteous people. They're going to take up the gospel message and they're going to share it, you know, very eloquently. They're going to be, you know, a lot of people are going to take a lot of notice of them because it's like, well, you don't, not every day that you have people who come back from the dead. Well, I don't know. I mean, if they were dead in this whole time and Jesus was born and, you know, surely they'd be like, But if they're faithful followers of Jesus, they're going to grasp the gospel message very, very quickly. I think they might be faithful followers of God. They might not even know who Jesus is. Unless they died having met Jesus or knowing about Jesus. Well, I think that people who lived in Old Testament times who studied the Bible had a very good concept of who Jesus was going to be. True. Yep. And... It would not take long for faithful followers of God to fill in the gaps having come back to life and become great missionaries for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Okay. So, and you would expect that, you know, these would be people who would write gospels. These would be people who would go on missionary journeys. These would be people who would do big things for God. These would be people who would be famous because they had been resurrected. Right? Absolutely. I mean, the story of Lazarus, he was only dead for four days. Some of these people could have been dead for centuries, if not millennia. Mm Mm-hmm. And Lazarus is is famous in the Bible. They are mentioned here, and they vanish. They vanish. They vanish. Oh wow! This is the only mention of you of them that you find at any point. They're resurrected, and then they just vanish. They go into the city. They share, you know, talk uh, about Jesus to some people, and then they just disappear. Oh wow! So the question is. Where did they go? What happened? Yeah. What happened? Let me read a passage to you from Ephesians. Let me flick over to the book of Ephesians. I think we're going to chapter 4. I can't quite remember. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Chapter 4. That's right. Bottom left-hand corner of the page. A bit slack when you always remember where stuff is like that. 
Wherefore he says, the Bible says, this is Ephesians 4 and verse 8, when he ascended up on high, that's Jesus, he led a multitude of captives and gave gifts unto men. I want you to think about that. When Jesus ascended into heaven, and he did that on Sunday, we know that, after he was resurrected, the Bible says he led or he took with him a multitude of people from this earth who had been captive to sin. Wow. So there's your 24 elders, and people say, well, 24 is not a multitude. Okay, 24 is a course. And throughout the year, each 24 would come in for a two-week period. So 24 times um, every fortnight that there is in the year, and you have quite a number, and you can have, you know, because they worked on a rotating schedule, so we have no idea, you know, how long of a period that um, this went over. And so there could be many, many, many rotating through of these 24 elders assisting Jesus in heaven meet with the work of mediation for you and I. We serve a wonderful God. The word right from the start was with God. He made a life. The word he left with us full of grace in him is life. The world did not know him But the world did not know him But the world did not know him
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. If what God has already done isn't enough for you, nothing's going to be enough for you. Because it's meant to be real, and real life stories have baggage. We know that Peter's a loose cannon. It's all about context. And he chose different personalities to express that because his personality is infinite. If it's a love song written to us, when we're at our lowest points, we've got backup. Like a lot of the rational arguments for the existence of God, they tend to work better after you believe. Hi, this is Luke from oztabletalk.com.au. Please join myself and some of my closest friends as we explore our faith through conversation, Bible study, interviews, and more. You can find us online at oztabletalk.com.au. That's oz as in Australia, A-U-S, tabletalk.com.au. Looking forward to seeing you there. Bye. I'm so glad that's recorded because I wouldn't write that down. Yeah. (laughs) Someone called it a care package there. Wow. Hey, Mon, mm-hmm. do you believe in miracles? Look, if God can change my life, I think I definitely believe in miracles. Okay, so the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh, yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. Oh, well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile. I like that you've got the wool over your eyes Cause it suits me fine to know that you don't even realize I like the way that you don't
Produce more entertaining things, keep our mind occupied When's the next storyline? Well, I can't wait to see what they'll think of next And oh, give me more of the Games of Thrones Cause I like keeping up with the Joneses Don't really mind who was Moses And when's the next YouTube session? That was Anna Beaton with our with uh, Wool we'll Over Your Eyes. Yeah, one of the fantastic new ones of her new album. Indeed. The lyrics are very deep. You should have really listened to that song when it plays. Let me give you the last clue for our Who Am I quiz. Um, it's going to get a lot easier now. Well, I mean, I think. I'm still pretty monitoring really hard. So the last clue is, I spoke against Moses, my brother, because he married a Cushite. Oh yes, he had so, jungle fever. Yeah. So who? So who was Moses? You're not related to Moses, are you, Mon? Wild Southwell. <laughs> who was Moses' sister? Give us a call. Tell us the answer. Win the prize this morning, Lyle. It is time. Do you know the descendants of Kush live in Ethiopia? Oh really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Gonna go get me one of those uh-huh. Moses descendants, I see. <laughs> <laughs> it is time for question Kushites of the day. Or the Nubians, yes. Because she was his wife was Sudan, darker, right? Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the uh, the Kushites come from, and the Kushite kingdoms and so forth. I see Kushite history. So basically, southern Egypt, Sudan, northern Ethiopia. That's the region region where um, Kushite people come from. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if anyone there like, Africans they would still identify as a Kushite if I asked them. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask when I'm in Aksum because yeah. that's right up near the border with the Sudan. And find out. Um, Ask them if they're feeling cushy. Ha! Ah, see what I did there? No, <laughs> Mon, please get on that plane. 
<laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> Fine, I'm leaving. Bye. Finish the show yourself. <laughs> are we going to do a question of the day? We, we are. Let's do it. Let's do All it. Right, Let's do not? it. Okay, so today's question has come in. It is a, a good one. Lyle. What is a benediction? We get all kinds of questions. When this question was asked, I had no idea. And does it doesn't have anything to do with eggs benedict? I have gone to church my whole life uh-huh. and had no idea what the word benediction was. Means. Ex- means, except that, that it is the prayer that is said at the end of the sermon in the Seventh-day Adventist tradition. Yeah, everyone knows where the benediction is. It's at the end of the program. But yes. what is a benediction? What is a benediction? Is it? Yeah. Okay, there are a number of great benedictions in the Bible, and I'm going to read you one or two of them. But the word benediction comes from Latin, and it comes from the word beni, uh, which means well, and diceri, which means say, say well. In other words, wish a person well. It Aww. is a blessing. The benediction is a blessing. So this is, uh, if you're listening in today and you are somebody who is not a regular churchgoer, this is what we call Christianese. Ah, uh, yes, yes. It's one of those words that all Christians know that what it is. Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, the benediction is the blessing that you get in the sacrament. Um, and so when you go and receive the sacrament, it can be the, the benediction as well. They can refer that to that as the benediction. But it comes to us from Latin uh, via Old French through into late Middle English, and thus we have the benediction. It was starting to phase out and to disappear in the 1970s, mm. but it has been strongly revived in more recent times. Does that mean you're going to give me a benediction today because you're going to wish me well on my trip to Africa? I don't know whether you deserve one. I was <laughs> These terrible jokes you that still you've been haven't told me. Here. You still haven't told me what benediction has to do with eggs benedict. Okay, so um, I would well the the word Benedict, the name Benedict obviously comes from exactly the same concept of somebody who wants to be a blessing, to say good things, to say well about others, and to pass on blessings. And so you know, Pope Benedict, um, you know, he obviously inherited or, or took that name because of previous popes and what they had done. Um, some pretty dodgy history if you actually look at the previous Pope Benedicts, and not a name that I would have chosen under any circumstances whatsoever at all, but nevertheless, he did choose that name and ran with it. Uh, a good name that has become badly associated with some nasty atrocities down through the centuries. As it is with the Pope life. But maybe eggs benedict means that eggs done well because, you know, you're wishing well. Or maybe it's just blessed eggs. Or maybe it's got nothing to do with eggs whatsoever. Got nothing to do with them whatsoever <laughs> at all. <Mon>. <laughs> okay, carry on. I'll stop right, interjecting. All right, all right. So there's some really, really nice. Let me share with you a benediction. How about that? That sounds good. All right. Um, Oh, here it is, right here. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, nice. That's a benediction. It's like right a signing there. off. Absolutely. A signing off. A blessing that comes at the end and a way of signing off. If you go to Revelation where we have been studying, you'll find the best benediction at the end of the book of Revelation. So you can all go and check that out yourself right now. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him
The Benediction, otherwise known as the Doxology, uh, brought to us by Anthem Lights. And so there's a blessing pronounced in that particular song. And our producer chose that one to go along with our question of the day. All right, Mon, what have you got for our your last giveaway before you head off to Africa? And yes, then indeed. Lawson and I are going to start choosing giveaways. Lawson's just walking through the door, actually. Yes, the L team. Yeah, double oh, L, see you. The Woo, double L team's going to be back. <laughs> okay, so I speaking of like stuff that happens at the end, I have a book called End Time Hope, A Journey to Eternity by Mark Finley. Uh, it's a really great book talking about uh, all the end time stuff that we've been looking at and will continue to be looking at in um, our study of Revelation. We're going through Revelation verse by verse. Uh, so we can um, definitely send this out to you if you're interested in learning more in depth about our Revelation, what the Bible says about end time events, and just some hope, some hope about all the scary stuff we're going to be reading about. And uh, yeah, really great journey to eternity. End time hope by Mark Finley. If you'd like a copy of this book, be the first person to call through now. Our number is 1-800-FAITH-FM, 1-800-324-843. First person through will get a, this copy of this book. Okay, excellent book right there. Highly recommended. Uh, Mark Finley, just one of the uh, one of our world's greatest presenters um, and speakers and uh, fantastic book. Don't forget... Um, if you are struggling with listening to Faith FM, if you have a weak signal, if you are driving down the road and suddenly Faith FM disappears, then you are doing it wrong. Simply download the app to your phone. Uh, the TuneIn app is the one that we use. Make Faith FM one of your favorites and press play. Run that phone through your Bluetooth or through your auxiliary cord. Uh, plug it into the front of your stereo, however you like to do it, and you'll have a perfect signal Australia-wide. And I'd like to say goodbye to everyone as I am flying off today uh, to Africa on the mission trip. Thank you so much to those who donated to the uh, medical supplies for that mission trip. I'll be keeping you updated of my adventures over there on air. Stay tuned.